Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. So a grasshopper walks into a bar and, you know what? For those not familiar with one of life's great drinks jokes, I'm just going to leave that verdant little nugget dangling for later. In the meantime, let's chat a bit about the cocktail. You can call it a thin mint in a glass. The grasshopper is probably the only reason you're reaching for cremes, both de menthe et cacao. And it may also be the only occasion in which you're indulging in heavy cream. As today's guest explains, non-dairy alternatives are also an option. And modern-day iterations can include such delights as gin, cognac, Irish whiskey, and absinthe? Absolutely. That guest is Pam Wisnitzer, a New York-based bartender, bar director, educator, consultant, and also a huge fan of the Grasshopper Cocktail. This is the podcast known in at least 98 countries and counting as Cocktail College. Get in, listener. We're going hopping. Yeah, mine nearly went into storage. <laughs> wow. We are in the Cocktail College podcast studio here, joined by Pamela Wisnitzer. Pam, thank you for joining us. Ah, oh, thanks for having me. And of course, we're here today to chat about the Grasshopper cocktail. Mm. We actually first connected about this a couple of months back, and they decided this is the drink that we were going to chat about together. Since then, I have seen a story by uh, Robert Simonson in the New York Times saying that the grasshopper is back. So just wanted to say those foundations were laid before then. Thank you. You are ahead of the times. Appreciate that. But also, apparently it's trending. Yeah, look, I I was never really a trendy kid growing up. I wore like awkward corduroy outfits. I had braces, but I can predict certain things. I've been loving the grasshopper, I think, since the first time I ever had one. Mm-hmm. My history with the grasshopper goes back to the Columbia Bartending Academy. When I was at school at Barnard, I took this course so I could be a quote unquote a bartender and they had this huge book of drinks that we had to learn and like not great drinks either like Long Island iced teas and blue whales which for those who don't know is a martini with blue curacao in it very nice but then we got to the cream drink section and there's like this is a creamsicle I was like that sounds good this is a pink squirrel this is a grasshopper and everything changed for me I think from that moment on <laughs> and I am a junior in college in New York City and I learned what a grasshopper is, and that that was it, lights out. And I think I just tried to pursue finding it as often or making them, and it became my obsession mm-hmm. at any bar program I did to make sure there was some iteration of a grasshopper somewhere always on the menu. That's wonderful. So you were at actual cocktail college at the time. Not oh, just possibly. On the- <laughs> I mean, look, I, I was getting two bachelor's degrees at the same time, but I was thinking, like, how can I make some money on the side? So... I might be their best graduate of the program, to be honest. Wonderful ambassador. (laughs) And for the drink, too. Um, We're going to dive into the history. Before we do, though, just talking about, like, today and now, you mentioned there about making sure that some iteration is on your menu. Some of these ingredients that we're going to get into, how common are those these days? Like, can I rock up at AN Random Bar, ask for this, and they're going to be like, yeah, we got 
We got creme de menthe. We got creme de cacao. Yeah, this is this is not going to be that drink you can just like roll up into your <laughs> mom and pop like corner place and be like, give me a grasshopper. They'll be like, uh, you want a beer? <laughs> because, <laughs> because truly it has to have anything to do, and we'll get into the ingredients, but it has to do with the cream being fresh or some type of milk source being fresh. And having creme de menthe and creme de cacao, which really are not often utilized in lots of drinks. Mm-hmm. So it's very rare you're going to touch that bottle unless you're making it typically, at least with creme de menthe, this drink or something during the Christmas time season. Right. So. And this is the most iconic drink within that ingredients sphere category. Kind of. There there are other cocktails that, um, you know, definitely have like a creme de menthe, but clear, like, you know, a stinger is a great example. Um, and, but no one really drinks mo- a lot of stingers anymore these no. days. All great names, by the way, the grasshopper, the stinger. The stinger. So definitely like creme de menthe like has its time to shine in this cocktail. This is when creme de menthe is like, I'm not just for your hot cocoa, I'm for a grasshopper. <laughs> and you're like, that's right, it's for this. And also that bright green color. And that is also something to come back to because you can get it with or without the green, but the green is like really what makes a grasshopper iconic. I want to say this is the best green cocktail. I'm going I'm wow, going out on a limb there and I haven't have I thought words. about that, but I think... That's really fighting words because the Appletini and the Midori Sour are going to come after you and haunt your dreams pretty soon. Both drinks that may also be experiencing some form of research And a chartreuse swizzle. Okay, like you okay, really, there you go. Okay, yeah, I hadn't done the relevant You're really there. backing yourself into, into a corner of this ring here and everyone's going to tag team onto you in a bit. So Okay, I'll say this. It's a wonderful shade of green when ah. made properly. You know, McDonald's Shamrock Shake has nothing on a grasshopper. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. It's the drink it always wanted to be. Yeah, it's what it aspires to be. The grasshopper's like the sexy older cousin of the shamrock shake. <laughs> so lead us on a path into history here. And with many drinks, as with many drinks, I believe that road will lead us to New Orleans. Yes. I think the world was a dark and dismal place until 1918. Like there really wasn't much to talk about. And then the grasshopper was invented. So it really, you know, um, the grasshopper came about from a cocktail competition. And we even say now we're like, what's the point of cocktail competitions? And sometimes it's not being the winner. It's being the loser. And I can tell you that from being in lots of competitions that I've lost. Winning does not mean that you're going to like be the greatest success. So uh, Philip Guichet, who is from Two Jacks down in New Orleans. So Two Jacks is a fascinating place. Yeah. Because it is the third oldest restaurant in the United States. That's still standing. Um, it is the second oldest in New Orleans. It's the oldest standing bar in the United States, meaning like you only can stand at the bar top. You can't sit there. Because before then, people were literally sat down cafe style at oh, bars. Oh, people were sat, or there were like troughs in front of there. Like men could like go to the bathroom a- at the bar. Like that was a very common thing. There are bars mm-hmm. still in this country that have like, you know, the urinal section underneath. Uh, Crazy. For another podcast. But <laughs> uh, what is fascinating about Two Jacks is that it's always was owned uh, by Two Jacks or the Guichets, and it's really stayed very tight within there. So Philip Guichet went to New York City to go be in a cocktail competition. Lord knows what the base of it was. Like, I <laughs> I have no... Normally, it's like, sponsored by this rum company, sponsored by this weird liqueur. And he's like, I made a grasshopper for it. So he created the grasshopper. For those who don't know, it is merely heavy cream, normally they say, which is intense, but heavy cream, creme de menthe, and creme de cacao. So we're talking about a low-proof drink, that is shaken up, served up, lots of different ways you can garnish it. He came in second place. And this is 1918, and he's like, oh, well, I guess I'll go back home and just take this drink with me. 
Now, New Orleans is like great for the picking, right? Because not many cities could you have something that kind of is so heavy, right? Mm -hmm. And expect people to be drinking it probably after dinner. This is really like served after dinner, which is insane yes. to think after eating a huge meal that you're going to sit down and have this creamy delicacy in front of you. Wild. But people did. And people really took to it because New Orleans has such a fascinating drinking culture in general. And drinking happens at all hours of the day and all types of ways, really like avant-garde ways. Like think about the Ramos Gin Fizz was also created there. So they're, right. they're so custom to cream drinks yes. in the first place. So there it lived. And there it started to thrive. And it really picked up steam in like the 1950s and 60s because we're seeing a lot of the emergence of other things like the Pink Squirrel and uh, we're seeing Brandy Alexander's and White Russians. Like this is becoming a, a lot of the rage mm -hmm. at a lot of parties. So the grasshopper, because it's a cool color. And now we're like cocktails got really fun during the 1950s. Everyone's entertaining at home. Yes. They want things that have less ingredients. We're talking about three ingredient drink. You can just... Make that easily, Equal right? parts as well. Yeah. If you want to be equal parts, it's there's lots of ways to make it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think a lot about it, right? Yeah. And it's fun. When it comes out on a tray and you see all these green things, it'll always catch your eye. It's an entertainment moment. So in the 1950s and 60s, when cocktails were really just fun here in the United States, and that's why they existed, for home entertaining and for a break from reality because work was hard, middle class didn't have tons of money for vacation and things to do. You go to bars, spend a little money, have yep. some fun. So then it kind of went away. And that's because we're talking about the emergence of the 1970s, disco era, the 1980s, when we're drinking highballs on the dance floor, vodka, vodka big, big, huge emergence. And people are starting also to get more health conscious. It's another trend that starts happening. Uh, so we kind of lose a lot of these big heavy cream drinks. Nobody wants to have them. And we're getting more into like the 90s and in walks Dale DeGroff and the emergence of like the, the golden cocktail resurgence, however we want to label it. And we start seeing a comeback of all these classic drinks. And so really in the 2000s, when a lot of bartenders were sticking their noses in books, doing research, we started finding these drinks or, or being like, what, why do we not touch these drinks anymore? And we brought them back to our bars. And I think that's really where the grasshopper had a lot of fascination because, again, in a society that we live in right now, people, especially in America, now this is America specific, they love tart drinks. They love drinks with less, a lot of time, sometimes we're depending where you are, less sugar, some places more sugar, spicy, they're like all these things. No one's really asking for minty or creamy. No. They're just not. Heavy cream off the menu. Yeah. Especially nowadays in the past like five years with the intensity of like health consciousness, Gen Z, millennial. However, because we have so many fun techniques and ways that we can make and utilize grasshoppers now, it's back. Because it doesn't have to be made the typical way. You see a lot of grasshopper milk punches. Mm -hmm. You can get into that. We see grasshoppers iterations, stirred grasshoppers. We see it made with almond milk, with oat milk. We see it being made in lots of different ways with lots of variations. And mm -hmm. then sometimes people just want fun again. So they're like, give me that weird fun drink. I want it. <laughs> so it's here, it's back. And I think because it is something that no one takes so seriously, it's why it will always be in existence because mm -hmm. there's nothing serious about a grasshopper. That's amazing. The it end. <laughs> <laughs> it's hopping. Um, so one or two quick notes there that I had come across during my kind of half arsed internet research looking at two Jags for a second. Also, by the way, and a lot of claims here, you mentioned, you know, third oldest restaurant, second oldest bar, apparently also the place that pioneered brunch. 
the original owner. I came across that. I'm like, wow, this person combined breakfast and lunch and that was it. Makes sense in a city like that where they're also, you know, having Ramos Jimfiz for breakfast. Like, maybe you want to push that into brunch. I don't know. And also, sadly, I believe they've they've moved now. They've moved one block or two blocks down. Yeah, it's not in the original location. It's not in the original. But that's okay. And no, no, it still exists. The soul of a bar still exists. Yeah, I think you believe it used to be in like in a corner location. Now it's not. It's like in the middle of a block in New Orleans. They took I, over a uh, Bubba Gump Shrimp Co. space. So, yeah. you know, win-win. I'll report back this week when I'm there and I get my grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you all know. It's like checking in. Uh, and it's okay because you don't have to... To be an existing restaurant, you don't have to be in the space that you were originally in. 100%. If you're able to sustain being in new spaces, you're still thriving. Mm -hmm. You're still there. You know, and that's, I think that's what we always have to remember. Yeah. um, That it is, it's still going. And it it remains in the family, to my understanding as well, which again, would possibly, probably be the more important thing. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was fascinating. And then another reaction I had to what you were saying there too, is just like, Thinking about that era you describing of the 50s, maybe 60s, people entertaining at home, people still making cocktails after dinner. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's that common now, even today, even maybe among enthusiasts. Maybe you're just reaching for a nice whiskey or cognac or whatever you're taking. We changed changed a lot of our social structure and our social outings. So a lot of times when we want to see friends, instead of saying, come over to my place, we say, let's go out to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially with the pandemic past few years, no one came over to your place. Mm -hmm. And we stopped home entertainment. That was something that really happened. Like we stopped doing, having your neighbors over. Like we don't actually, a lot of people don't get to know their neighbors as often as they used to, depending on what city you're in. More metropolitan cities uh, like New York, even sometimes like LA, Miami, like you don't get to know people because it's a little more transient. I'd say sometimes more suburbia, like uh, structured, more Mm -hmm. like neighborhoods, homes you do. But with that said, at the same time, people don't always let everybody in. And we used to have these like glorious evenings of, you know, regale and these tales over cocktails and everything else. But also people people are quote unquote busy these days, right? And we all <laughs> yeah. have cell phones, there's something to do and some kid has to get dropped off for some dance recital and soccer practice and oh I've got to wake up early for work. I gotta do this. So we don't have that same luxury also lounge around like mm-hmm. we used to and wake up with a hangover. We can't afford that. <laughs> <laughs> but that I, I do think this the the profile of this drink though you know, maybe you're skipping dessert and you're just going for the grasshopper as dessert and it works for that. Well, I've told everybody as it's, it is dessert. Yeah. Just have this for dessert. Mm-hmm. Um, because truly it's like drinking a thin mint. Mm-hmm. I tell her like a, like a big piece of like mint chocolate chip ice cream. So why not drink your dessert instead of eating it? Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I would say another thing too. I think this could be a good St. Patrick's Day cocktail. Just because of the color. The the color. What I will say is that if you want to make it for St. Patrick's Day, you got to bring in the Irish. Yeah. Okay. And so something. So, okay, let's get into the structure of the drink. I think this is a good moment when we talk about like what's really in it. Perfect. And where it has a Thank place. Thank you for bringing the structure to this. Oh, I think this is necessary. Sure. So uh, a grasshopper is hysterical because it only has three, three ingredients. It has cream. It says quote unquote cream. A lot of times they would use heavy cream. So just imagine that viscosity, right? Right. Whoa. And then it has creme de menthe. So it's a mint liqueur that's very low proof. Okay. And so we're talking probably somewhere, it depends who makes it. I'd say roughly between, I don't know, 15 to like 20% on average. So very low. And a creme de cacao, the same percentage. And creme de cacao is um, a chocolate liqueur. Mm-hmm. 
when you make classic ones, you use a green creme de menthe. And we're talking like bright green. Like this is yeah. not sexy. <laughs> when you see it in the bottle, this is this is like food diet. It's best. Neon. Neon. And then you're using a, a clear creme de menthe. Now there are two different types on the on the market. This is where we get real nerdy in this podcast. Good. This is what we like. Um there's one that's gonna be dark, dark creme de creme de cacao, and there's a light creme de cacao. And if you use the dark one, then your grasshopper is gonna look like muddy mess. Goo. Mm -hmm. And no no one likes that. That's not a sexy grasshopper. So you always need to have the clear one. Okay, so the clear one with the green and creme uh, and heavy cream. And a lot of times the ratio can vary a lot. Some people do equal parts. Some people do two parts heavy cream to one part of each. I'm never a believer in equal parts because the intensity of sometimes the creme de menthe is insane okay. and it overpowers. So technically when you pull this cocktail together and you shake it up and you strain it out, it is a low proof drink, which is nice, which is why it's perfect for after dinner because you have had this big dinner and you're yeah. kind of like, all right, low proof it out mm -hmm. at the end. Um, however, when you're sitting at a bar and maybe you want something like a little like kick up notch, whenever I served grasshoppers, I always felt like something was missing. That's yeah. how I always felt. It's like, there's room in here, there's structure. And it's one of those fun drinks that really can absorb almost any spirit and it tastes great Ooh, in it. Okay. Because the ingredients, because of the cream is so heavy, it absorbs. However, I don't think everything plays the same. And I will say from my research over the years and having it, I've been on a bunch of menus, the places where the liquors that play the best into it happen to be specific gins. Ooh. Yeah. So gins uh, surprisingly work really well. Cognacs are beautiful with it. And Irish whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Irish whiskey is not, so, is not so surprising because it has so many fruit notes in it and the fruit and chocolate go together and certain fruits and like mint can also go together so nicely. Uh, same thing kind of with cognac. The gin is surprising. Now, not all gins play the same. Not at all. No, like I'm not going to put a gin mare or a citadel in there. Those are really my like dirty martini gins and they're gorgeous in that sense. But certain ones with like less botanicals just shine. Like I'll tell you, Ford's gin has chamomile in it and it is fire. In a grasshopper. We're big fans of Ford's Gin on this show. Yeah. And this is, by the way, I'm not paid to say any of this. This nope. is literally my opinions <laughs> and solely will always be my opinions. But like Ford's plate, Ford's is gorgeous. The camel in there just like pops mm -hmm. and it's so darn good. Um, but you can't put like a ton. So really, I always put the cap of a hard liquor in there at an ounce and a half. Yeah. That you can add in there, which is great. I, um, I got to put a, a, iteration of a grasshopper on a dead rabbit menu and our second menu it's called in the independence day if you look it up in any of the old menu books um and jack mcgarry i was really pissed off and i can say this jack mcgarry still is the owner good friend um i really wanted to put this like unaged cognac in it the rummy used to make this thing called rummy v that was a yeah. unaged and i was like this is great it's got like the heat the intensity of a white spirit but it's got the cognac yeah and he's like, no, it's got to be Irish. So we're putting pachin in it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, pachin. For those who don't know, pachin is essentially white dog for Irish whiskey. And yep. it's still not happened yet. You I, know, I, I've read the articles that it was coming, but I think we're still waiting. Listen, for those who pachin out there, congrats. Good job. But I always say it's kind of like that Mean Girls quote when they're like, stop trying to make that chap and Gretchen. It's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, pachin. So. Uh, but it, listen, it turned out to be a great drink. Mm -hmm. I, still some people, some of my friends still talk about it to this day. Yeah. Um, and it was fun because I, I played with a lot of different flavors like within there to create a variation on a grasshopper. And I think that's what I like the most. What I love is that we've taken this original, the three ingredient drink, and we've literally said, this is a f original foundation. Mm -hmm. How do we 
play upon it? How do we spin mm -hmm. upon it? We've had the most amazing iterations of it, like Jeffrey Morgenthaler's Pepe Lamoco Grasshopper, which is like a, an incredible boozy ice cream drink with Fernet Branca, and it is iconic yep. in so many ways. Um, I've had that a million times over. Um, and then you have like people just playing with it. Like I see a lot of Grasshopper milk punches these days. Um, milk punch. Milk punch. For those who listen who don't know what milk punch is, and you're like, what's that? Um, it's a clarified drink using a process where milk is like milk interacts with um, citrus and then it's strained and so it's clarified and preserved so it feels like a mouthfeel of grasshopper but it's thinner and it's delicious so there's lots but do of we want to get rid of the color but it's still green oh it's still green oh, okay 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 yeah it's still green that's good that's the fun part that's interesting mm -hmm. um and you mentioned as well just you know introducing different spirits there are ingredients like big hitters gin cognac even you know riffs with fernet and surprisingly overlooked and i use all the time is absinthe absinthe so absinthe and mint are best friends mm -hmm. and absinthe and chocolate are yep. best friends so absinthe i think if you're not even adding a few dashes of absinthe into your grasshopper you're completely missing an amazing just a little seasoning there. yeah it's an amazing flavor opportunity sounds wonderful yeah and but yeah i think it all dials back to these original three ingredients like you're saying being like being able to take a lot of punches, right? Being being these big flavors also, you know, that they can adapt. They will allow a certain amount of modification there and addition. You know what the grasshopper really feels like? It feels like the three losers in high school that are like, no one likes us. Everyone thinks we're weird and dorky and be like, you know what we're going to do? Let's get together and be really cool later in life. And that's what, what they did. They yeah. were like, we're going to get together and be really <laughs> awesome. And then they started like a tech startup and now they sell it for a million dollars. That mm. is a billion dollars. That is literally what yeah. the grasshopper is. It's like the three loser <laughs> ingredients that nobody wanted to touch. Someone's like, I, I, I see a future in all of you. I believe in you. And yeah. then they take the they, ingredients, put them together. And now who has the last laugh? Yeah, absolutely. The grasshopper. Every, everyone's mm -hmm. like, like creme, creme, de, creme de menthe, the green one's like, mm -hmm. now you have a place in your shelf. Mm -hmm. You need me. All you fancy cocktail bars, you need me. <laughs> <laughs> and worth noting as well that these are not dairy-based liqueurs right like like mm. a bailey's or something right the creme de, the creme de menthe creme de cacao no that's just that's the name it derives from french yeah it's it's french it's like creme de cassis mm. creme de pêche um it's just it's the it's the term so these uh liquors are completely uh cream free uh they you know hopefully they're vegan yeah <laughs> i don't know i'm not gonna make claims for brands or companies but it is a liqueur which means it has sugar in it mm -hmm. so it has the essence of the flavor the sugar in some cases color <laughs> and a, a grain base probably a neutral grain base yeah starting with them and like we said we established before no one's no one's no one's paying you to to promote any brand or whatever on, on this podcast but do you have any preferences when it comes to those two categories because i do imagine that it's is it one of those ones where people are like i'm just going to see what i can find or would you urge people to maybe spend a little bit more effort and and look for some producers in particular yeah, I, I would say your drink is only as good as the ingredients that you put in it. It is up to you to decide what you would like to have in your glass. That'll be what is the end result. So a few things here. So number one, when it comes to liqueurs, some people have access to things that other people do not. And I also recognize that. Um, here in New York, we are very fortunate to have access to a lot of ingredients. Um, some that I have always loved to use in my grasshoppers, uh, Tempest Fugit, their products are just lights out. 
Yeah. There's there's no Amazing. comparison. Their stuff is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and their creme de cacao is just whoop, stellar. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, I also say Jafard is like some of my favorite to play with. Uh, Jafard is from France mm-hmm. and they have like every incredible liqueur under the sun. <laughs> it's just <laughs> everything's such incredible quality. Yeah. Um, but listen, if you're just like in a random store and you see that bottle of like bowls that's green, like mm-hmm. grab it. That's going to be great. Mm-hmm. It's going to make you a phenomenal grasshopper and you're gonna be really really happy just make sure it is that green one for the creme de menthe and the the clear for the creme de cacao now look if you can't find the green stuff i'm sure you got green food coloring at home but if you even want to do that you don't always necessarily have to go that route you Mm -hmm. know it's not totally necessary i think the other thing that people don't talk about is actually the dairy source so not all dairy is produced the same, right? And we also have to remember that there are some people who can't tolerate dairy. Yep. Um, there are vegans out there, and we want to make sure that anybody can enjoy this drink. And we have every single ability to ensure that a guest can enjoy it at your bar and that someone who's coming over who has any dietary restrictions can enjoy this drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's great is that as a technology of non-dairy-based milk alternatives are coming to the market, there are things that have like richer... Um, denser bases than your typical like nut milk that may not stand up, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, I think oat milk is, is like has a little bit of creamier texture sometimes, and there are certain brands like Oatly that has a creamier one, quote unquote. Yep. I say always go for that. Um, I know some people are like, oh no, I don't want heavy cream. I get it. And if you're really like, I don't want the heavy cream situation, at least do a two percent milk, maybe four percent. Like get some get some fattiness in there. That's where this drink thrives. Yeah. Okay. So is it's, it the fat content that we're we're really looking we're for? We're really here. here for some fattiness. Okay. Yeah. And that's fine. And it's dessert. It's dessert. It's good. It's good for you. You mm-hmm. know, maybe hopefully. Um, I am not at liberty to give you medical advice, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, the fattiness will really definitely help the texture of the drink. And that's mm-hmm. something else because I will say it now and I'll say it again. A grasshopper is a drink that's served up. Mm-hmm. So for those who are listening and need clarification on terms, up is when we shake a drink with all of its ice ahead of time, strain it out, and then there's no ice in the glass afterwards. I've seen people put it over ice before. But what happens is that when there's additional ice in the glass and you're drinking your grasshopper and you're drinking it slowly because you're having great conversation with the people around you, you are diluting that drink Mm -hmm. and then the texture's all off. You're getting, and, and the flavors are all off then. And it's low ABV already to Correct. start with. So Some drinks are really incredible and need the additional ice melting. Um, like... Uh, like a jungle bird is a great example. Okay. Yep. And that is a highball drink. And cause you're not supposed to shake it for too long and it's had such intense, intense flavors in there but that while the ice incorporates in with the drink while you're drinking it, it actually adds to the experience. It evolves as well. That's it. Mm-hmm. But here, because we really want the, like the forcefulness of the air to shake up everything. Like we're essentially whipping up a milkshake in a tin. That's what mm-hmm. we're doing. We're whipping this milkshake, right? So we need to maintain that texture. If you have extra ice in there, it's going to force those like air bubbles out a lot faster that you whipped in with that beautiful shake of yours. And then you're adding extra dilution and that's a sin. So this is a drink that is always served up. Mm-hmm. And I will like really stand by that. Okay. I really truly believe in it. Um, so if you can, you should do that. Now, the only time where it's okay to still have ice in it is if you're blending it. Okay. So I want to get into this, and I will. I, I, I would like us to get into that a little bit down the line, mm-hmm. because I have a question before that with, with regard to shaking and dairy. Um, first question for that would be, temperature of your dairy, is it improved by coming straight from the, the, um, straight from the fridge, 
Or is this like an egg white situation where actually you're finding it's easier to whip up if it's kind of closer to room temp? And then also, are you employing anything like a, a dry shake here or a reverse dry shaker? However many far down that line we've gone by this point, like just to improve texture. Okay, so science, mm-hmm. a little bits of science that I have. Remember, any if you're trying to get an ingredient from one temperature to the next, the further away it is from the end temperature that you want, the longer you have to work at getting it there, right? And that's like basic, basic science. Um, when you have dairy, if it's colder, it's going to get closer to the, it's already closer to the temperature that you want it to be chilled. Okay. Also, you don't want your dairy out at room temperature. That's dangerous. <laughs> that's like some stuff they do over in Europe. And I respect that, but that that dairy is like doesn't go through the pasteurization pasteurization process that we do here, so mm. it's, it can it can last. Mm-hmm. Like that's some good dairy. <laughs> that European dairy, you all do it really well there. I don't know what you're feeding your cows, but get it um, here in the states. So keep it in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's a few things? Number one, shake up your milk before you pour it out because it's it's like settled, right? And it's just good to give it like a fast a fast shake in there. Then add it in. I don't like to add too many ice cubes. And I think this is a losing moment for most bartenders and most people who prepare this at home is when you overstuff your shaker with ice. Huge pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Here what we're looking for is the temperature to drop to be whipping in air, the whipping moment. And we want to be able to like get the right amount of dilution. So if you have really large ice cubes, for those who work in bars, like cold draft, like the one by ones, like I really would only be adding about three of those in there. Mm-hmm. For those who have like bodega ice, like I got at home, what's up bodega ice? I would really be adding about five to seven ice cubes. And the idea is to whip those down as much as possible, sometimes even to the end of it. Um, certain bodega ice, if you have it, maybe like four or five cubes and you could whip them down to the ends of it and incorporate it in. If you dry shake your drink after you wet shake, you're heating it back up. Yeah. We don't, we're not here for that. No. Boo. This is, is there like a boo thing you can add on here? Like, boo. <laughs> we'll definitely add that. Yes. We're not here for that because you really just want it chilled down. It's fine. It's got that you you fluffed it. You're good. You don't have to pre-fluff your drink here. This is not like a Ramos. So a Ramos, what you're trying to do is add the egg white with the, with the um, cream, heavy cream, and to get the stiffness of the head. That's not here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here, what we're really trying to do is take the ingredients whip that air in, get that chill down, and just get it into your glass. Yep. So you don't have to shake it once before. Just get those few ice cubes in there, go put on a show, get into the glass, and get it into someone's mouth. Amazing. So now let's talk about those blended versions because I've seen some wonderful-looking creations out there. What's the, what's the route that we're going down here? What exists? What's common? It's nice when it looks good. Yep. Doesn't mean it tastes good. Not always, but That's I'm, thinking, right. <laughs> I'm thinking you will be able to lead us in the right direction. In terms of like a blended grasshopper. Mm-hmm. So again, I like I go back to like Morgenthaler's grasshopper at Pepe Limoco. I also go to um, Bryant's cocktail bar, if anyone's been there in Milwaukee. It's like very iconic for their blended ice cream drinks. And they will do grasshoppers, they'll do pink squirrels, mm-hmm. like, and it... There's no better place mm-hmm. in this country to go get a drink than there if you want like that whole ice cream infused situation. Now I will say this, if you are going to blend um, a grasshopper, 
you can just do it with the base ingredients and ice, but it's not going to give you that same texture that you want because remember how, how much water you're now adding to the liquid. Yeah. It's going to be really thin. And this is why ice cream is your friend in this drink. It's one of the drinks that really, like, you can take out the cream and put in ice cream instead, like a vanilla, or even just sometimes you can just get, like, basic, like, ice creams, mm -hmm. or even mint chocolate chip and, like, really up the mint factor. But because it has the fattiness in there and it can combat the amount of ice that you will need to get it down to the chill factor, it works so much better than if just putting in heavy cream. Now, the only way that I will combat that is if you take your heavy cream, put it into ice molds, put it in your freezer, then pop it out and use that for most of the freezing component with a few regular ice cubes, mm -hmm. then you'll have a great bodied frozen uh, grasshopper, but that's a lot more work. That sounds like a lot of work. It's I mean, it's really not, but you have to plan. And yeah. some of us just want to like go to our bodega, grab that vanilla ice cream, yeah. and make some grasshoppers at home. But you do need, therefore, some ice in that too, because we want some dilution. Yes, always. Like, no matter what, I don't care if you're putting in the blender anywhere else and you're like, oh, I'll just use these frozen, these kind of juice cubes and berries. You need dilution. Dilution's our friends in cocktails. And I know there was this movement... To all my friends who are listening who did this, and I love you, but this um, no dilution, sometimes room, like some people do room temperature drinks, some people did no dilution drinks. I think that's terrible. <laughs> and I will stand by that so much. So, and I, if I get hate for it, it's okay. But I really think that they're terrible because we need water to help open up flavors. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a safety mechanism too in a yeah. drink. Yeah. So, um, and it is our way also to like manipulate temperature to, impart like better flavors and structure into our drink as well. Mm -hmm. So get those ice cubes in there. Doesn't have to be like a ton, but remember you need a, a, a good amount if you want the whole thing to be really truly, um, you know, like a slushy yeah. as opposed to just like blend it up and like really cold. And then you're like, this is not it. Well, you're also heating it up, I guess, but through the blending process, if you have one of these crazy robo, uh, not robo thermo, not the Thermomix, that too, but Vitamix? the Vitamix, yeah. That's what I got, yeah. I just went through the the, the list of the, all the three that you'll use in the kitchen. Sorry, Ninja, I know you're there too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Nutri-Bullet. Yeah, listen, you got these other ones that are going to come after you in the ring. You got these, like, yeah. green drinks coming after you. The Blendjet, too, is one that I'm seeing a lot oh, these yeah. days, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. I had the Nutri-Bullet for a long time, and I love that because it was, like, personalized drinks in each glass. Um, but, yeah, I definitely make sure you have the right amount of ice to also... So ice and ice. Yeah. And also I just feel like if you're only using ice cream plus these two presumably room temperature ingredients, like how cold is that going to be anyway in the end? Even if you don't have the wild blending process, like, yeah. I mean, it's it wouldn't be so cold if yeah. it, anyone, I've done a lot of work with ice cream, especially with some groups that I've worked with. Um, and it's not, it's, it's really not that yeah. cold. So, sorry <laughs> guys. Very, very upset. Now I will say, if you want to get a big scoop of vanilla ice cream and then pour over some yeah, creme okay. de menthe and creme de cacao on top of it, it's a wonderful bite, but that's dessert. That's not a grasshopper. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And then I guess the other last, I don't know, we haven't even talked about what's garnished on top with it. So I was going to dive into that in the section where we're going to say now, Pam, this is a drink that you have studied throughout your career and at the end of this, we're going to be presenting essentially Pam's ultimate grasshopper recipe. Therefore, can you talk us through that now 
and your method. So imagine we're, we're at the scenario, we're at your bar. Talk us through making that and the ratios that you now adhere to. Oh my God, I'm so excited for you to be at my bar. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Uh, so when I, when I make grasshoppers, oh, I like want to have one right now. When I make grasshoppers, um, I'm definitely going to make it higher proof. That's a personal thing. I think it tastes better. I just think it's better all around when you do that. So um, I will always start with a few dashes of absinthe. Now, if someone likes a little bit more absinthe, I'll ask them because some people are really averse to it. I will add about a quarter, a quarter ounce or a half, depending if they're like real into this moment. Yeah, it's delicious. It's so good. Um, And then from there, I'll start with the less expensive ingredients. So I'll start with a little um, creme de menthe. So creme de menthe can be really overwhelming and people forget that. So also this depends on how much absinthe I put in, but normally I do about three, four, seven ounce of that. I like to scale back a bit. Uh, because it is sweet and it is really minty. Uh, then it goes to creme de cacao and let's go for the chocolate because people love that. It's going to be great in there. We also need that sweetness in there because we're going to put a higher proof spirit in. So we're going to put a full ounce of that in. Next comes the base spirit. And now this is kind of like dealer's choice. And I told you I already like, you can kind of put other things in there. Like actually tequila can work really nicely if it's a super vegetal, like from the low, the low valley area. The, high, the, like, the highlands area is just a little bit too like fruity and caramely, but the low valley has all these like green vegetable notes. That's really nice, nice in there. Um, but I'm always going to skew towards a gin, a cognac or an Irish whiskey, like hands down. So it's kind of like dealer's choice at that point. So I don't know which one you would like in your glass. So I'm going to go for here. Irish whiskey, I think. Okay. Fabulous. Great. So we're not going to like, we're not going to be pulling like a Turcano port cask here that's not that's not the move okay <laughs> and not even like a, a jameson like black barrel that's not be no. too intense we're really going with like your tullamore do mm-hmm. you know your jameson mm-hmm. something along those lines but a blend a blend you a know? solid blended we're not doing red breast 12 sorry we're not getting that like insane copper pot like, that's where i wanted to go first and then i thought you know what that might actually be just a bit too much it is too much because the thing is that this is never not this base spirit is not the star of the show no but the, the flavor profile of it actually adds into the other ingredients so nicely that it works. Um, it blends in, but you, some, like, you'll never know sometimes what, what it is. But that's the, that's the secret. That's the fun part, right? It's kind of like when you make that jungle juice and you're in college and they're like, why am I so drunk? You're like, I don't know, but it's fun. Okay, and that's <laughs> like what this trick is. Um, and then comes like the cream. I always like to put the cream last because... You don't know if for any reason it curdles or something happens, interacts with something, who knows. Um, so I like to do a full like ounce and a half. And if I can have a heavy cream there, that's great. Especially if it's a local heavy cream, that's very different. It's mm. so much better. Um, again, if I'm doing this for vegans or people of sensitivity, um, there are creamier oat milks on the market and that works the best. Um, almond milk can actually, like, it's a weird term, like pill up. It can actually like like become like particle-y yep. in a drink. So you have to be really careful of almond milk. Uh, but oat milk doesn't do that, mm-hmm. which is cool. And then I kind of like to put like a teeny tiny half pinch of salt in there. Because um, the salt's going to balance out all the sweetness. Because there's really nothing to balance that right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm going to put in just a few ice cubes. Like super, very few. And a chilled coop in front of you. I'm going to shake. Shake a lot. I'm going to shake off my guns. I'm going to pour it out and garnish. So I'm a true believer in the shaved chocolate. Yep. Like, give me shaved chocolate. Why would you not want me to drink that? But if I have like an after eight mint or like a Girl Scout thin mint cookie, I'm going to put that on the side and I'm going to serve it to you. Nice. Yeah. That's, uh, this, this, this drink that I'm about to receive here in this bar is sounding wonderful. Oh, 
Of course, only the best for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick detour here on the on the shaved chocolate garnish. Are we going? Uh, are we going for a bitter chocolate there, or does it not really matter? Is that living in the fridge to make it easier throughout service? I imagine during service, this is this thing's getting a little soft. And finally, do you have a preference on your grater? Oh yeah, we're gonna do like a fine grater, like a, you know, uh, like one of those blades. Those like something that that will handle nutmeg. Yeah, we're gonna do a fine. Uh, yeah, this is like a fine grating. Um, and I'm I'm down with some like a heavy cacao, like some at least seventy percent somewhere in there. Um, it doesn't have to stay in the fridge. It's nice when it's colder, but it's not gonna warm up on service unless you put it over. A, the the dishwasher and it mm-hmm. heats up, which is a strange place to put your garnishes in the first place. <laughs> so Good it point. can so it can last while it's out. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's you know you can change up the chocolate, find something local, find something that's like really unique. Support a small business, buy their chocolate. That'd be nice. Yeah, there's there are tons of ways that you can incorporate a very interesting flavor. Sometimes there are mint chocolates, and you mm-hmm. can add that like little <sighs> bit on top too. So lots, many ways. To move. That was my drink. favorite ice cream flavor growing up, just was the mint it? chocolate chip. Yeah, and the and the neon. No, not not quite neon. It's this. It's the same. It's the grasshopper green. Yeah, it is. It's funny because it's not mine. I'm a chocolate oh. person, but I'm I'm obsessed with the mint and chocolate combination. Like, if you ever get a Milano's cookie and you bring it to my house, and it's not the mint Milano's, I'm going to look at you sideways and tell you to go get the mint ones and then come back. Mm-hmm. Also, just if you did have these two, I guess ingredients in their pure form, I know chocolate doesn't actually really taste like how it exists in nature but chocolate and just straight up mint not ideal just in their in their purest form but this is one of these combinations that for whatever reason we've i don't know big corporation just chefs they've made it work i i i think we've seen chocolate and mint together so frequently in in many delicacies and yeah and in in cooking mm-hmm. um and mostly in pastry, so it, it is a it's a fairly very very classic. It's classic, but I'm just wondering, like who who first took a piece of chocolate, wrapped it in a piece of mint in a, a mint leaf, and was like, "This is it." Oh well, that's that's for another podcast, another day when we do the deep dive into the true history of it, <laughs> the origins of flavor combinations. Oh, that, but I want to shake that person's hand. I do too. Yeah. I want to say a lot of fond childhood memories yeah. with ice cream. Thank you. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> We've gone into some of the variations already. Um, I like some of the variations just for their names. I can't rattle them off the top of my head here, but the flying grasshopper, I believe that's just the addition of vodka, also makes it turn a strange color. But there's some there's some interesting ones out there, right? But have we left off any notable variations? I think... So the grasshopper, there are a lot of drinks that have variations on it. Like the Negroni is the most uh, classic example that we have a million names for. If you change one ingredient, here's a name for it. I cannot say the grasshopper is the one that everyone's like, and here are the names of all the variations. Like no one knows that and no one kind of cares. No. It doesn't have the same <laughs> credibility. Um, I teach a lot of cocktail classes and I always love to point this out to people that we bartender, we're not really original. Like we're not, and that's okay. 
Um, what we like to do is we like to take a structure of something, change out one ingredient, give it a brand new name, and then we look like rock stars. You know, like I talk about the difference between a gimlet and a daiquiri is merely just the base spirit. And when I show that to people and I really talk about it, they're like, oh my God. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I know. It's kind of like when you go to the Wizard of Oz and you peek behind the curtain, you're like, oh, you're just a small man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's less, it's less sexy and that's okay. But the grasshopper, I don't think ever will be that drink that we're like, and here are the million variations yeah. for a grasshopper. Because it's not... It, it's it's the once in a while drink. Mm -hmm. It's the fun. It's the fun time drink. Mm -hmm. It's the the Oaxaca grasshopper. Yeah, yeah. Like it. I mean, and yeah, grasshopper tacos in Oaxaca are delicious. But I'm not thinking about a mint and chocolate <laughs> drink. I wonder whether that is a drink that needs to happen, but maybe bears no resemblance. I mean, look, if you're if you're gonna talk about Oaxaca, then you have to give credibility to like mole, like chocolate chocolate mole. I'm really you know, the culture that is down within there. But I wouldn't ever try to make a mockery of the fact that there are flavors that are so indigenous to the area that, you know, just slapping on the name Oaxaca, I really think it 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 doesn't do any service mm -hmm. for um, a mezcal or, or the people from um, that region and that area. That's a good point. Yeah, so I think that while we are, we always love like making names, we have to always be really careful about why we're doing it and what it means and what it stands for. Uh, because th there's a lot more that goes into a name than anything else. And so, like, you know, why was this called the grasshopper? Hmm, who knows? Maybe because it was just green, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's totally fine. But, you know, it's after, you know, a cute little insect that you know, hops around. Maybe you have a few a few of these and you start hopping around as well. <laughs> or maybe you hop to the bathroom. I don't know. Like, it's... Uh, but, yeah, I... I I Interesting thing to keep in mind, though, definitely. Yeah. Something I, to be thoughtful. Yeah. I don't think we're going to see um, variations that were like, this is it. This is the grasshopper. It'll just be a no, grasshopper and like a variation of it. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts or topics that we haven't covered relating to the grasshopper? <laughs> um, this is really interesting. A great story. So I went to Japan in 2016. Yes. Yes, 2016. Um, and I went on a trip. Uh, I was It was really exciting with a shochu company. And then on our last night, they took us back to, to Tokyo. So we went to a few really big cocktail bars. And I remember going to one and they're like, what do you want to drink for a cocktail? And I was like, I guess I'll get a Japanese whiskey old-fashioned. So I got that drinking... And then they're like, what do you want for your next drink? And I just blanked and I said, a grasshopper. And the bartender looked at me really weird. And then my guide looked at me really weird. And the grasshopper was like, great, and started making it. And the guy goes, did you know to order that? And I said, no, what are you talking about? He goes, that's like the banker drink in Japan. I said, what? So apparently, and times have changed, maybe it's not the same anymore. But at the time that I was there, uh, a grasshopper was a drink that like a lot of people who worked in finance and business people would come to a bar and that was one of the big drinks that they would have, which is that's wild. so wild uh, of all places. <laughs> right. Um, and it is not, I mean, and it was, it was gorgeous. Um, I mean, it absolutely was the greatest thing. I would assume, yeah, that you, that you benefited from that then, the, 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 such familiarity Oh yeah, because then like, then like 12 other people got them too. Cause they're like, what's that? That's, so I think that's the other fun thing about a grasshopper is when you see one go out, there are certain cocktails that you just look and your head turns and you're like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And that is going to be one of them. And it's also, there's like such a little underground bartenders club of who loves them. Uh, my friend Dominic Wilson, who um, lives in London, used to work at the American Bar at the Savoy. Uh, he is a genius. 
he loves grasshoppers. So our joke was when he used to come to the dead rabbit when I worked there, he would have like my Independence Day and also grasshopper variations. And when I went to go see him, there was always a grasshopper already sitting at the bar waiting for me in this gorgeous glassware. And it's it's not that it's a bartender handshake. It's not that. It's not the Fernet Branca, right? Mm-hmm. But there is this inner group of us that know that we all love them. And when we go places, we drink them. That uh, is fun. It is really fun. Um, and I think also there's something fun when you go to like a really, like not serious, but like a cocktail bar and you sit down and you're like, can you make a grasshopper? And any bartender's face kind of just lights up and they're like, yeah, I can make a grasshopper. Yeah. It's just fun. <laughs> I don't know how many drinks I can just literally rattle off and just say, that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's funny and it's fun. And I think the grasshopper is always going to be at the top of that. Mm-hmm. You said a few things there that remind me too of the the porn star martini, which is a drink that we've covered, which I also think are true. Right? It's a it's a head turner in the bar. Someone orders one. What you know? One brings five. You know, one person orders one, and also like yeah, it's fun, and people don't take them very seriously, but I enjoy it. Yeah, they're so they're so much fun, mm-hmm. and. Sometimes and sometimes you just don't want to be thinking about anything, and mm-hmm. you just want to have a really good, silly time. Mm-hmm. And the grasshopper will do that. Wonderful. Yeah. Final point before we get into our last section of the show, which is our recurring questions, where we get to know our guest. Um, how have we got this far without mentioning the classic joke? A grasshopper walks in the bar, and. <laughs> All right, so it's a slow night, right? And the bartender's just like, oh, man, this, this night kind of stinks, whatever. And it's raining, and the door slams open, and a grasshopper walks into a bar. And the grasshopper looks around, and he's like, I just really want something cold to drink. And the bartender's like, oh, my God, we have a drink named after you. And the grasshopper goes, you have a drink named Steve? <laughs> John Cleese's favorite joke, everyone. <laughs> and apparently the, f- the folks over at... Um, Family Guy are fans too, because I believe Quagmire delivered it in the 1999 episode. Yes, yes. Very did. good joke. They did, they did. And it's, you know, it's such a dad joke that I felt like it would be a crime of us not to include. I thrive on dad jokes. Thrive. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it, when Mrs. Maisel came out in the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. or like in the pandemic, I could actually watch it, I should say. And I was like, oh, wow. It's like me, like a Jewish woman who just stands up in front of people and talks and maybe she's funny sometimes. And I was like me bartending my whole career, you know, (laughs) I felt very seen, but I wasn't as funny as she was. Mm -hmm. Dad jokes are the currency that keeps the lights running on for this podcast. I I know. Are they in crypto form yet? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Pam, we're going to get into our five final questions. How are you feeling? Great. Let's, let's do this. That's a prelim question. It's not number one. Question number one would be, What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? When it comes to beverage programming of the bars that I've worked in and put together, whiskey as a category forever will have the most real estate. And that's because it has the most variation and varietal. Uh, at my home bar, for those of anyone who watches my Instagram videos, I'm constantly putting my home bar in the back, and it's wild. It is wild. Uh, it's wild. And um, uh, whiskey is also uh, the biggest contender there, and it always will be because when you whiskeys are made globally, whiskey mm-hmm. has a million different variations, uh, nuances underneath the category. So there it stands. 
I think whiskey has an unfair advantage when it comes to that question, just because of the points yeah. that you raised there. You know, it's going to be really hard if you have somebody who works at like a, a tequila bar who comes in here and you ask that question because they're going to be like, tequila. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you not know where not I work? <laughs> question number two, which ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? We have a group of friends who always say J. Ross or Lomax. I will keep that answer in there just because it's a fun inside joke. But <laughs> um, very excited I could say that. Um, what tool or ingredient is underutilized? Mm -hmm. Or uh, undervalued. So I, um, I personally believe, it, even though it's used for every single drink, I will always stand by the fact that ice is under um, misunderstood. People don't understand that not all ices are the same. Uh, you really have to take into consideration the temperature, the space that you're in, plus the type of ice that you have with you, what kind of drink it is, how long should you be shaking. Like, not, There are so many factors into why one drink is going to be better than another. And I think working with certain bartenders, like I worked with Bobby Hiddleston back at the Dead Rabbit, and he was someone who really taught me a lot about shake time, consistency, taking a lot of factors into consideration because I could shake something with crushed ice, you can have regular cubes, and I guarantee you my drink will probably come out better because I've had a lot of training. And I, I can boast, I can say that. That's but why it, you're on the show. But it's something that's so important uh, to remember that ice is a tool. Mm -hmm. And it's not just something that you just like throw in, shake, whatever. You know, you have there are a lot of factors at play. And if you take one second to assess, assess that and see how it's going to be your friend, you can always make perfectly consistent, wonderful drinks every time. Amazing. Yeah. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Uh, I think I have a very good friend. Her name is Jen Seidman. She runs Acme Bar out in San Francisco. I think everyone in the industry goes through like really great times and really hard times. Um, and then I think one time she said to me, you know, it's, is like, if, are you, do you want to be a politician or do you want to be a leader? And they're two different things. And, and that's okay because a politician, like and a leader can sometimes really care. You know, there's different ways of caring in both. And some people care a lot about what pe other people care about them and they want, you know, a lot of popularity, you know, and a good leader is going to listen to everybody around them and take hits and falls. They're going to, um, they're going to know when to bow out. They're going to know when to step up. Um, and, you know, they're going to try really hard to listen to, like, everybody that they work with. And, like, a politician is really they're really there because they want to make change, but also, like, they want everyone to like them, right? And they're trying to win over your votes, and they're trying they're being really inauthentic. And I think in this industry, something that's really important to remember is, like, sometimes just someone can say to you, like, are you trying to be a leader or a politician? And that's really important important because mm -hmm. some people can get really wrapped up in the quote unquote celebrity of it all or you know quote in an article and you think you're like the shit can I say that on here yeah <laughs> okay um and that's not necessarily the case so that was the greatest advice and she is she is an incredible leader mm -hmm. I gotta say that Jen Seidman is amazing if you don't know her bar Acme um that's in Northern California you should know it I think it has one of the best spirits collections in the country and she's always led this way mm-hmm um, I think everyone should be humble and remember that. Like, are you trying to be a leader? Are you trying to be a politician? Wise words. And yeah, important to understand the distinction between the two. Yeah, totally. 
Question number four. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, past or present, what would it be? I mean, I'm not going to go back to my college bar. <laughs> Big shout out to everybody who went to the West End <laughs> a lot. Um, if I could only go to one bar, past or present, what would it be? That's, wow, that's a really, that's a crazy question to think about. There are definitely bars, um, especially in the pandemic, there are bars that are no longer here that I mourn, like, uh, Daddy-O being gone, is that was one I think that hit the hardest mm -hmm. of anything to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if I had one more visit of any bar, any space, anywhere, it would probably be Clover Club in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Pretty easy. Um, Julie Reiner is not only my extremely close, great friend, like she's like family to me. Uh, she's also been a mentor in my life. And a lot of people who work there have, are, have and still work there are friends of mine or people I look to, people I have mentored. Um, and they have some of my favorite drinks. Mm -hmm. I would get the port of call. It's like not even a question. It is the greatest drink <laughs> ever. It's in the fall time. It's got port in it. Um, and I would get those like truffled potato chips, like, and just sit at that bar in the corner, the first corner. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a special place. I've seen friends get married there. I've yeah. seen friends launch their brands there. There's so much more tied up in that bar than probably anywhere else. And if anyone ever comes to New York and is trying to do like the best of the bar tour and doesn't go to Clover Club, you've totally missed the boat. Yep. Yeah. I love everyone else's bars out there. All of my friends, I love your bars. That's 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 the par hard part of that question. And I don't ever want it to feel like the person, you know, in your seat there is, is you know, we're, it's, we're looking at it from a positive point of view there. Yeah. We're, we're, we're shining a light in a positive yeah, way. Yeah, but how can you not like also how can you just not love a place that is helmed by women like mm -hmm. Christine Williams and, and Sue Sue and Julie and it it is just the it's, greatest spot. Yeah, it's such an amazing spot and you got to also have the drink there after which it is named to Great Cocktail. Uh, oh, we haven't covered that yet. One time one time we were all at Leando across the street of a group of us and we're like, would it be funny if we one by one went over and just each got a Clover Club, pounded it and went back out. And we did that. <laughs> we like each got $20 bills, went in, Tom Macy was working and we went to Sadler Quarter and one at a time, at, like, cause all the people, he didn't know anyone until I walked in and everyone in, got one, pounded it, slammed down the 20 and ran, and it ran out. And when I finally came in, he's like, oh, he's like, you are all terrible. <laughs> so That's so good. Might do that. At yeah. some point, might have to do that. Yes. <laughs> you could still play fun pranks on places yeah. when there's no harm in the end. <laughs> Final question for today. Okay. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank might happen to be your last, what would you order or make? A grasshopper? I mean, yeah. I, it's up there. Look, there are five drinks that are my favorite. No guilty pleasure. In no particular order. I love grasshoppers. 50-50 gin martinis with olives. I love cognac old fashions. I love a jungle bird and a frozen mudslide. So we could also just play like roulette. Roulette with those? And I, any of those, I'd be really happy. If that was my last drink, I'd be happy. I would, honestly, I would be really happy if it was a grasshopper done mm -hmm. my way. Because yeah, I love that drink. I think for the purposes of today's show, we can... We'll, we'll say that the, the the ball landed on that one. Do people always say the drink that they cover? Not always. Wow. <laughs> Savage. Come in here and rep the things you like, people. <laughs> Pam, thank you so much for, for, 
for bringing the energy to the studio today that kind of matches the the vibrancy of the color of the grasshopper. It's oh. been fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And I hope everyone goes out and makes a grasshopper. That's what I'm going to do right now. Yes. Enjoy it. Okay. That was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>